Africa rise and shine Africa tuza Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tracy Bungard and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. South Africa's new president to deliver his first State of the Nation address. Nelson Chamisa appointed to lead Zimbabwe's MDC. And more UN peacekeepers face sexual abuse allegations in the DRC. In economics news, South African government urged to do more to fight corruption. And in sports news, a British IOC member expelled from the Winter Games in South Korea. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. British Prime Minister Theresa May has congratulated Cyril Ramaphosa on his election as the fifth democratic president of South Africa. She has expressed a desire to work closely with him in the future. This comes after the head of the UK-based Commonwealth said she hoped relations between the country and the organization would improve. Catherine Drew reports. In a statement issued from Downing Street, Theresa May offered her warm congratulations to President Ramaphosa on taking office, saying the UK greatly values its dynamic and forward-looking partnership with the country. She added she hopes to see the President at the Commonwealth Heads of Governments meeting in London in April. Meanwhile, the Commonwealth Business Forum, which will stage a business summit in conjunction with the Heads of State meeting, says it welcomes the change of leadership and hopes relations between South Africa and the Commonwealth Organization will now improve. Chairman Jonathan Marland. We're incredibly excited. Uh, It's fair to say our um, connection with South Africa at a government level has not been strong, and therefore... Former South African President Tabumbeki has also congratulated Cyril Ramaphosa on his election as the president of the country. Ramaphosa takes over from Jacob Zuma, who stepped down on Wednesday night following the ANC's National Executive Committee's decision to recall him. The newly elected president was elected unopposed in the National Assembly on Thursday afternoon before he was sworn in. Mbeki hopes Ramaphosa will focus on ensuring that this clean governance. I I hope he knows that uh, this change has inspired a lot of hope among our people who want to see clean government, a government that really honestly, systematically addresses the concerns of the people. I would like to imagine that uh, President Ramaphosa would would want to discharge that kind of responsibility to the people and uh, and we are all of us prepared to help, to help and support him in that regard. 
The United States Embassy in Sudan is deeply concerned by the continued arrests and detentions of hundreds of political leaders, activists and ordinary citizens in the country. It says many of the detained are being held in inhumane and degrading conditions and without access to lawyers or family. Sudan's economy has been struggling since it lost well-reached South Sudan to succession in 2011 with double-digit inflation and rising food prices driving unrest. Security forces violently shut down attempted demonstrations. Zimbabwe's main opposition MDC party has named Nelson Chamisa as acting president of the party. He replaces longtime leader Morgan Changarai, who died in South Africa on Wednesday. Changarai was diagnosed with colon cancer in 2016 and was undergoing regular treatment at the Donald Gordon Medical Center in Johannesburg in South Africa. Chamisa speaks on losing Changarai before the elections. Uh, we are uh, very much certain that we've lost our very crucial soldier at a very important and crucial moment. We are just four months away from an election and we've lost a commander. But what I can tell you is that we do not have a crisis of the generals on the field, of those who are going to be lieutenants to make sure that we win the battle and the war against the incumbent. And we win this election. And our only gift to President Richard Morgan Chagrai is our total victory at the election. And finally, a Ugandan journalist has been abducted. Charles Utukuri, who works for the state-owned New Vision newspaper, was seized by five unidentified men dressed in military camouflage outside the newspaper's office in the capital, Kampala, on Wednesday. In a story published online, the New Vision says it suspects the journalist was targeted in retaliation for two articles published at the weekend. The articles linked agents from the Internal Security Organization and the chieftaincy of military intelligence to the death of a Finnish businessman in a local hotel. That's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Cyril Ramaphosa was sworn into office as President of South Africa Shortly after he was elected by parliament yesterday, the day after the resignation of Jacob Zuma, 65-year-old Ramaphosa was elected unopposed as Zuma's successor. He has put the focus on rooting out corruption and revitalizing economic growth. Let's listen to Ramaphosa taking an oath of office conducted by South Africa's Chief Justice, Mukhweng Mukhweng. In the presence of everyone assembled here, and in full realization of the high calling I assume, and in full realization of the high calling I assume, as President of the Republic of South Africa, as President of the Republic of South Africa, I, I, Matamera, 
Mistero Ramaphosa swear that I will be faithful to the Republic of South Africa swear that I will be faithful to the Republic of South Africa and will obey and will obey observe observe uphold uphold and maintain the Constitution and maintain the Constitution and all other law of the Republic and all other law of the Republic and I solemnly and sincerely promise and I solemnly and sincerely promise that I will always that I will always promote all that will advance the Republic promote all that will advance the Republic and oppose all that may harm it and oppose all that may harm it protect and promote the rights of all South Africans protect and promote the rights of all South Africans discharge my duties with all my strength discharge my duty with all my strength and talents to the best of my knowledge and talents and to the best of my knowledge and ability and ability and true to the dictates of my conscience and true to the dictates of my conscience do justice to all do justice to all and devote myself to the well-being of the republic and do justice to the well-being of the republic and all of his people and all of his people would you please raise your right hand uh, Mr. President-elect and say, so help me God. So help me God. That was South Africa's new president, Sil Ramaphosa, taking an oath of office in Cape Town yesterday. The South African Parliament says its all systems go for the State of a Nation address today to be delivered by the new President Sir Ramaphosa. The institution says the event of the joint sitting of the two Houses of Parliament is the culmination of thorough preparations since last year. Ramaphosa was sworn in as President of the country yesterday after the resignation of former President Jacob Zuma. Abongwekobokan has more. Sona was postponed two days before the actual sitting on the 8th this month. The then-president Jacob Zuma was supposed to deliver the speech outlining plans by the executive for the year ahead. The event is characterized by pomp and ceremony with cabinet ministers, dignitaries and other distinguished guests descending on parliament. Parliament spokesperson Muloto Mutapo says preparations for the official opening of parliament started last year. Mutapo says Parliament is more than prepared for today's sitting. We are definitely ready. Uh, since the announcement of the new date yesterday, uh, we went into full care. Uh, we, in, uh, we informed all the guests that were already invited. Uh, the accreditation process will reopen this afternoon uh, until tomorrow. Those that have already been accredited, such as the media and other categories of guests, uh, it's just a matter of verifying. The issue of cost accumulated due to the postponement last week is going to be determined after the SONA 
According to Mutapo, he also says already the presiding officers have requested the officials to begin the investigations on the exact amount of the costs. Well, we can only have a, a good idea, uh, accurate picture of that after the State of the Nation address. Uh, remember, we, the Speaker instructed the Acting Secretary to Parliament last week to begin a process of uh, uh, gauging uh, the financial impact of the postponement. But that report was inconclusive because uh, you still need to have a discussion and negotiation with uh, various service providers. Uh, in certain instances, ask them not to charge us uh, penalty charges for postponement, etc. So the whole cost, therefore, can only be known or established at the end of uh, the whole process of the State of the Nation Address. Another big event in Parliament next week is the budget speech by Finance Minister Malusi Kigaba and preparations for this occasion are also going well. Well, the budget speech will remember that the presiding officers said that it must not be impacted upon negatively by the postponement, and they have stayed true to their weight, so it remains unchanged on the 21st of February. So it will continue after the, the, the president has uh, presented the State of the Nation address, after members of parliament from both houses have uh, 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 debated uh, the State of the Nation address, and uh, after the president has replied. So it is still on the 21st of February, the Minister of Finance will present the budget and it will be considered by the National Assembly through its normal processes. Elia Mutapo also confirmed receipt of the letter of resignation by former President Jacob Zuma. Well, we can confirm that uh, the letter of resignation from the President arrived this morning and uh, the Speaker of the National Assembly has uh, duly uh, wished the President, uh, the President well and thanked him for his uh, contribution and his service to the people of South Africa over the last eight years. And that report ended by Mutapo Mulapo, um, the parliamentary spokesperson, and he was speaking to Abongwe Gobokana in Parliament. Let us all unite and celebrate this is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. For the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africans will tonight find out if there's still a glimmer of hope in rebuilding the country. This as the fifth 
President of the Republic, Cyril Ramaphosa, delivers the State of the Nation address. Ramaphosa was dramatically elected president yesterday following Jacob Zuma's resignation on Wednesday. Now, to speak to us more on this, we are joined on the line by political analyst Dumsani Khilpe. Dumsani, thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you. Good morning, Lulu, and to your listeners throughout the continent. Dumsani, how important is the State of the Nation address, especially by the incumbent president, Cyril Ramaphosa? Well, I think it's very important given that uh, South Africa is just coming out of a tumultuous uh, situation. So, the, the, so this State of the Nation address, it, it, it's important in the sense that it has to inspire motivate, it must convince society that, you know, things have changed, but even more importantly, that there are plans and processes set in motion, and that there is a new leadership capable of delivering on those promises and taking the country, you know, turn the country progressively into a, a developmental path. Do you think that South Africa is finally on a path of stability? As considering that uh, all um, looking at yesterday when opposition leaders were giving messages after the president's election, do you think that uh, we are on the right path as a country and uh, whether um, President Silva Maposa will be able to steer his cabinet in the right path? Well, in most cases, whenever there's something new happening, the newness it brings with it a sense of hope and aspiration and the belief that indeed uh, things are changing. So, so what we saw yesterday, it was a sense of that goodwill, that, that positive mood that things are changing. But here's what is going to make South Africa move towards a more progressive path. One, it has to seriously embrace the issues of good governance. And that is what uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, I think, when he reshuffles his cabinet, is going to emphasize on, to look into those ministers that have been found wanting in issues of good governance in their ministries, and to bring in those that he believes are going to make sure that processes and proper means of doing things in government, you know, are, are done appropriately. And then heighten the ability of the government to perform on its duties. Now, those, for me, are the two things that are likely to make South Africans believe that, indeed, the things have changed. And then thirdly, which is an important one, if there's going to be an indication that, indeed, those that have been found to be wanting on matters of state capture are being brought to book and the child is not properly and the jail if needs to be. So those are the things for me that will serve as the indicators whether South Africa is changing or not. Dimsani, you touched on something very key, actually uh, two or three points. Firstly, the issue of the cabinet reshuffle. Are we likely going to see one? And how soon or how quickly is there going to be a cabinet reshuffle? And secondly... Do you think there's going to be a reduction in the cabinet um, numbers? Uh, but there has been complaints of the fact that the, the South Africa's cabinet is, is very bloated compared to even uh, bigger countries or first world countries, so to speak. Is there going to be a reduction in the cabinet? Well, that would be proper. I have I, held that view myself that this cabinet is highly bloated. Uh, I think the 
ministries were created, you know, to to fulfill some political commitments that perhaps the last president made it to certain individuals. I don't think they were made on a strategic basis of where the country ought to have been. So a reduction of the cabinet will be one of the ideal things that Cyril uh, could bring into the picture. And then, um, the, secondly, I, I do expect him to 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 reshuffle after Wednesday. Wednesday, it is when the budget speech is going to be read. So I assume between today and Wednesday, you will be focused on the state of the nation address, which he delivers today. And then secondly, he has to deal with the budget speech. Although it's delivered by the Minister of Finance, he, he works very, very closely with the president. So they have to speak with one voice. So that is focused. And then also on Monday, he has to respond to the issues raised pertaining to his state of the nation address. But then after that, I am very, very convinced that he is going to reshuffle cabinet and it will be a drastic reshuffle. And it might even include the finance portfolio. There's been a lot of speculation, speculation, speculation. There's a photo on social media that was doing the rounds um, that went viral where uh, President uh, Ramaphosa was doing, was taking a morning walk or a jog with uh, the longest serving finance minister of South Africa's Trevor Manuel. And uh, already there was speculation rife with regards to the possibility of him being brought back into cabinet um, you know, the possibility, as you mentioned, the fact that the the budget speech is generally worked um, very closely um, to, on by both the president, the finance minister and their teams. Do you think that the finance, the current finance minister is going to present that budget speech? Well, I, 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 because you need to keep the situation calm, we have to present the, the budget speech. I don't think it would be wise for Ramaphosa to reshuffle before the budget speech. Uh, I, I, otherwise, it wouldn't be a politically correct you know, thing to do. But I think the subtle question that you are asking is whether we are likely to see the likes of Trevor Manuel back into cabinet. The biggest problem, one of the biggest problems, Lulu, that has happened in the past is that in most cases, those that in the ANC take over after the elections, they have a tendency to, you know, to send it to oblivion, very, very useful comrades that could be useful uh, in the new administration. I think what Cyril Ramaphosa is trying to do is to make sure that those that have walked the path before are not lost in the system and they they continue contributing, you know, uh, in that regard. So it makes sense if if he takes a chill pill with the likes of, of Trevor Manuel because he has been there, he has done that, and he has got valuable information to share. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the likes of Nkantanen or Praveen Gordon, for that matter, make some, or, or even Jonas, make some serious comeback into government because the finance portfolio... Uh, in, in the administration of JZ, it has been very, very compromised. And one of the focus areas that Cyril Ramaphosa is going to do is to rebuild and consolidate the strength and confidence of that portfolio. So do expect a whole lot of people that have been in the system before 
to play a role either directly as cabinet minister or alternatively in advisory roles. Dimsani, very quickly, just in wrapping up, what should be expected from um, the State of the Nation address by President Ramaphosa? This is his maiden State of the Nation address. And uh, with regards to investment in the country, with regards to um, business ensuring that uh, they work and empower um, the people of South Africa and do more um, to to develop uh, create job, jobs and things like that. Just take us through the thought process of what President Ramaphosa should focus on in his sona. Four, four things, Lulu. One is going to focus on clean government. So issues of anti-corruption are going to enjoy prominency. Uh, the investigation on state capture is going to enjoy prominence as well. And then is going to emphasize on unity um, you know, Parliament has been very, very uh, polarized institution, so it's going to emphasize unity across uh, political parties, and then it's going to emphasize initiatives for turning the country around when it comes to economic growth, and then it has to sound very, very persuasive, both to domestic and international investment that South Africa is ready for business. The last one, if, if I were him, and I'm not, it will be that he needs to emphasize that the state institutions are going to perform on the duties that they are expected to do uh, with with zilch and vigor and commitment and all of that. Because he can do all of these things. If the machinery of government is not performing as efficiently and effectively, then everything comes down to zero. Dimsani, his maiden State of a Nation address. We're looking forward to it. There's been a lot of excitement in this country, and hopefully by Monday we'll know. By the end of this evening, we'll know exactly what his focus areas are. You've touched on them, and Monday the question and answer session um, will take it even further before the budget speech on Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks. And that was political analyst Dimsani Tlope joining us on the line. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catch us every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs.
It's 8.27 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A diplomatic corps, a body representing foreign representatives in South Africa, says it has been closely following developments in the country. Foreign ministers say, however, they respect the internal processes of the ruling African National Congress. It commended former President Jacob Zuma for the role he played in the interventions in some African countries that experience conflict. Maluti Obuseng and Fanuel Schumer filed this report. Zuma has been hailed for the role he played in the continent from his days as the deputy president of the country. The diplomatic corps say Zuma continued being active in missions in Africa, even during his tenure as the president. The head of the diplomatic corps, DRC Ambassador to South Africa, Benem Poko, says the Congolese government had an excellent relationship with Zuma. President Zuma, as you know him, and uh, he did help my country, the Democratic Republic of Congo, to reach an agreement with the Rwanda at the time where we were fighting with Rwanda. So he's the one who was the mediator between us and Rwanda. And he had continued the mediation role uh, throughout his career as a deputy president and also as a president of South Africa. As you know, he played a very major role in Burundi. He was involved toward the end of the negotiation process in the Ivory Coast. He has also been involved in Lesotho, in Zimbabwe, in the DRC. Mpoko says the results of the work Zuma has done is there for people to see. The African Union, for instance, uh, given the role to oversee the infrastructure, the construction of infrastructure program on the continent of Africa. And this is because of uh, President Zuma has been a champion of regional integration, whether within the SADC or on the continent. On the peace and stability within the SADC and at the African Union level, he played a major role in establishing of the African, either SADC or African standby forces, so that uh, the continent and the region have the capacity to respond to conflicts. Meanwhile, the missions welcomed the newly elected president of the country, Cyril Ramaphosa. Mpoko says Ramaphosa is not a newcomer to a political role and brings in experience from the private sector. Oh, definitely, because uh, he is not really a newcomer. As I said, he was involved in the political transition from day one, and he played a major role. We know that he had gone to the private sector, and... Uh, Today, on the continent of Africa, I think uh, there is a need for leaders who come from the private sector to manage the country because they will bring a different type of uh, outlook, a different type of uh, country management when a private sector person becomes a political leader. But he has been both. I'm Malut Ubusheng in Pretoria. The United Nations says it has registered 18 alleged cases of sexual abuse and exploitation by its peacekeepers and civilian personnel in the Democratic Republic of Congo last year. Some incidents relate to events that date back as far as 2013. The United Nations mission in the DRC, otherwise known as MINUSCO, has nearly 17,500 troops and police serving in the country, its biggest mission. Complaints against UN staff have also previously been made in Senegal and Uruguay. For more on this, Channel Africa's Kumbela Munjelele spoke to MINUSCO spokesperson Florence Mashal. 
we we refer to the 18 cases. It was the uh, the number of, of alleged cases for for the year 2017. It was the cases we we the alleged cases we got for all year 2017. Uh, this figure don't include the latest cases we we got. I think it was the uh, end of last week, and uh, we received four allegations of misconduct including free allegation of sexual exploitation and one on physical violence and all allegations involving military peacekeepers from South Africa. Now, how far back do this sexual abuse incident go, Florence? And are complainants being offered psychological and medical support? Regarding the uh, regarding the uh, the free allegation of sexual uh, exploitation, the victims are adults. And uh, but uh, regarding the uh, the false allegation that uh, refers to physical uh, violence, it uh, it involves a 17 year old boy, and it was in Eastern Park, in Eastern Kasai, while the other case were in the North Kivu uh, province. So. As soon as we, the mission, the MONUSCO, um, was aware of uh, this allegation, we uh, we have provided assistance and immediate immediate care to, to the victims because assistance to the victim is our is really at the heart of our uh, of our response regarding this uh, sexual exploitation and abuse uh, cases. We were together with our United Nations sister agencies, UNFPA and, and UNICEF. UNICEF takes care of uh, victims when victims are uh, minors. And- that was Florence Marshall, spokesperson of the UN organization Stabilization Mission in the DRC, speaking to Kumbela Mujalele. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, it's all systems go for the State of the Nation address by South Africa's newly elected President, Cyril Ramaphosa. The United States Embassy in South Africa and Sudan, rather, is deeply concerned by the continued arrests and detentions of hundreds of political leaders, activists and ordinary citizens in the country. And a day after 17 people were killed in a school shooting in Florida, U.S. Democrats criticized President Trump and the Republican Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, for refusing to discuss gun legislation. Those are the stories making headlines. Nelson Chamisa is the interim president of Zimbabwe's opposition MDCT following leader Morgan Changwai's death on Wednesday. Chamisa was elected by an emergency meeting of the, of the party's National Executive Council in Harare to lead the party for 12 months. Meanwhile, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa and former President Tabombeki have also sent their condolences to the Changarai family and the people of Zimbabwe. Ntakwanangadana reports. 
Thousands of MDCT supporters gathered outside the party headquarters in Harare, unconsolable on the passing of the only leader they have known since the founding of the party in 1999. But the National Executive Council had to grapple with the difficult task of nominating an interim leader. And after weeks of tussles between Nelson Chamisa and Edward Muzuri, and in a meeting not attended by Muzuri and another party senior, Tokozani Kupe, they chose Nelson Chamisa as interim leader of MDCT. Nelson Chamisa. Uh, we are uh, very much certain that we've lost our very crucial soldier at a very important and crucial moment. We are just four months away from an election and we've lost a commander. But what I can tell you is that we do not have a crisis of the generals on the field, of those who are going to be lieutenants to make sure that we win the battle and the war against the incumbent. And we will win this election. And our only gift to President Richard Morgan Shangrai is our total victory at the election. Our only gift to President Morgan Shangrai is the convergence of all the democratic forces, making sure that we unite progressive forces in Zimbabwe in a grand coalition that will be able to give a fighting chance to the people of Zimbabwe. The MDCT says even if the government doesn't recognize him, Changarai was a hero. Chamisa. We have declared President Changarai a national hero. But all President Emerson Mnangagwa has said so far is that the government will assist with the funeral. Meanwhile, tributes are pouring in. Just hours after his swearing in, President Cyril Ramaphosa's first international message was to the mourning people of Zimbabwe. He said Mr. Chvangarai will be remembered for his profound role in Zimbabwean politics and his prominence, which saw him serve as Prime Minister from 2009 to 2013 in the Government of National Unity, during which period the current constitution of Zimbabwe was developed. Former President Habombeki also sent his condolences. He really tried his best to represent uh, the, the interests uh, of, of, of the members of the, uh, of the MDC and, and to try and advance a particular agenda in terms of what they thought was necessary in the terms of the, of the transformation of Zimbabwe. So uh, it, it's, it's a serious loss from, from that point of view. And, and I, I am I'm quite certain that it is necessary also for us to, 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 to convey our own condolences. You know, we, the first time we, we got involved um, in trying to mediate the relations among the political parties in Zimbabwe, that between the MDC and ZANU-PF was at the request of Morgan. MDCT says Chivangarai's wish was to be laid to rest in his home village of Buhera and the party will work with the family to fulfill that wish. The party has suspended all its activities until the funeral. I'm Takwana in Johannesburg. 
Hundreds of lawyers took to the streets in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, on Thursday in protest against violations of the rule of law by state officials. The protest comes in the wake of arrests and deportation to Canada of Miguna Miguna, a dual national Kenyan lawyer and opposition supporter. James Shimangula reports from Nairobi. With the song in the background, lawyers carrying placards with the words inscribed on placards, Law Society of Kenya, Yellow Ribbon Campaign against impunity and willful disobedience of court orders. That's the message they're sending to the entire world to the extent that court orders are not obeyed. And that's the message they put across to the highest court on the land, the Supreme Court. The Kenyan lawyers' demonstrations ended peacefully with a strong message to the Kenyan government that time has come for it to obey official orders issued by courts in the country. The demonstrations were prompted by an order made three times by a Nairobi High Court judge for police to produce veteran controversial Kenyan lawyer Miguna Miguna in court. The government did not comply with the order, instead deported Miguna to Canada, where he is also a citizen. Addressing dozens of lawyers at the entrance to the Kenyan Supreme Court, the highest judicial institution on the land, their spokesman, Charles Kanjama, pointed out important factors related to their demonstration. We are here gathered as uh, members of the Law Society of Kenya to express our disapproval for the disregard of court orders. Every member of this country, whether it is government in the first place, public officers, the inspector general of police, the president of the Republic of Kenya must obey court orders. But we are saying it is not just government officers who have been disregarding court orders. We are appealing also to the top political leadership. We are appealing to uh, the leaders of the Jubilee Party. We are appealing to the leaders of the NASA Party. Nobody is above the law. As the law society, we are unhappy. We are very unhappy with what is happening. And to say that we'll do all we can to ensure everyone, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of position, uh, in government or office, obeys the law. Kenyan lawyer Charles Kanjama. His colleague Amol Otiende emphasizes that impunity must come to an end in Kenya. I'm afraid to say that with the events we've seen in the last uh, four or five weeks, the level of impunity has increased instead. And it therefore calls upon me to fall back on my calling as an officer of the court to try and ensure collectively that court orders are respected that impunity is reduced, that the rule of law and constitutionality takes root in this country. Efforts to get official reaction from the Kenyan government on the demonstration failed to bear fruit. Meanwhile, ordinary Kenyans have made varying comments on the demonstrations staged by the lawyers. Here are some of their voices. I don't see the sense of uh, their organization plan to make sense because uh, I see a plan of the national intelligence using the law society as an organization to test the government of the day. I don't see anything so sensible. What they're saying is true because at least there is no justice in our country. Wherever you go into this office, at least things are messing up. No votes, no votes, no votes, no votes. My name is Thomas Macaulay. I want to categorically say that court orders must be obeyed by all Kenyans, irrespective of their status, 
irrespective of their position in society. Because the court binds all of us, the rich and the poor, all of them in government and out of, out of government. So we cannot condone a situation where people fraternally disobey court orders. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. The Ogiek people's victory to get their land back in Kenya from the African Court of Human and People's Rights in May last year is still in front of a court for a final decision for remedial action. Lucy Claridge, legal director of Minority Rights Group International, says the Ogiek peoples are still being harassed and their rights are violated. She spoke to Channel Africa's Wandile Kalipa. So the Ogiek won their land rights case, their indigenous land rights case, before the African Court of Human and People's Rights in May last year. But the matter remains before the court, because although the court found that the government had violated articles and obligations of the African Charter of Human and People's Rights, and yet decided what remedies should be awarded to the Ogiek, um, that still falls to be decided by the court. So currently, what is the situation with regards to the people on the ground in the Ogik area? So implementation of the judgment should have happened already so that the judgment should still be being respected in spite of the fact that remedies have not yet been awarded. At the moment, some of the Ogiek are still suffering violations of their rights. Some Ogiek are still being harassed, intimidated. There is still logging going on in some areas of the Malfoy. And in particular, I understand that the Kenya Forest Service is um, not respecting the judgment, that it lacks uh, level authority from the Kenyan government to actually respect the judgment and stop the logging and give the Ogiek back their land. Now, looking at the, as you're saying, that uh, some logging is still taking place there in the Ogik, but the people are on the ground, are they taking care of their environment and their surroundings with regards to looking at issues of sustainable livelihoods in the area and so forth? Absolutely. I mean, as you know, the Ogiek live in harmony with the forest, but many of them have actually been evicted. So they're not in a position to access the forest and undertake conservation. And what they seek is to be returned to the Mal Forest, their ancestral land, and to be given the chance to protect it, conserve it in conjunction with government bodies who are also involved in its conservation. That was Lucy Claridge, Legal Director of Minority Rights Group International on the line from London, speaking to Wandile Kalipa. Our economics update up next with Tracy Boomgaard. Thank you, Lulu. Economists have expressed confidence that South African President Sowa Ramaphosa will be able to remove investor impediments and inspire economic growth. It's believed if the fight against corruption, clean governance and policy certainty are prioritized, South Africa could attract investments which could ease many socio-economic challenges. The changes may buy the country some wait and see time with the rating agency Moody's due to review South Africa in the first quarter. 
Meanwhile, the rants continue to strengthen in the wake of Jacob Zuma's resignation as president. It's currently trading at 11.66 against the U.S. dollar from 11.62 at the close of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange last night after Cyril Ramaphosa was sworn in as the new president of South Africa. However, the stronger rand is mainly the result of a weakening dollar against other major currencies. A weaker dollar usually strengthens emerging market currencies. The rand is at its strongest against the dollar in three years after having reached its weakest level so far at around 16.80 at the beginning of 2016. The stronger currency should stabilize inflation and make it possible for the South African Reserve Bank to cut interest rates. The South African Treasury says the poor procurement systems need to be fixed and new board members at parastatals should be strictly vetted. Deputy Director General at Treasury Ishmael Momoniat says the new government must fix the country's criminal justice system to fight corruption and state capture. We make a big thing about getting security, vetting, and I hate the word security. I'm saying, can we just do vetting for honesty? Just see if the guys, you know, are honest, have they crook people, and they clearly don't qualify. Before you look at fancy things like security, uh, which anyway seems to be, have other objectives other than what they're supposed to do. I think the whole concept in our anti-money laundering legislation on politically exposed persons, we call it PIPs here, but I think we need to step that up because those who embark on, this, on state capture are always politically connected. South Africa's Capitec Bank has invited U.S.-based Viceroy to inspect the bank's business operations. This following the release of a second report in which Viceroy accused the bank of abusing South Africa's debit order system. According to Capitec, Viceroy's latest report released on Wednesday is again filled with factual inaccuracies, misleading half-truths and sensationalist statements. The bank also cited international independent rating agency Standard & Poor's, which said the report had no bearing on its rating of the bank. This is the second report on Capitec by Viceroy in the space of two months. The first report caused Capitec's share price to drop, but it has strengthened since then. General Electric has agreed to sell its overseas lighting operations in Europe, the Middle East, Africa and Turkey. The sale does not relate to GE Lighting's operations in North America, which the company is also looking to sell. General Electric, which closed last year with a net loss of 6.2 billion US dollars, announced a restructuring plan in November involving 20 billion dollars of asset sales. The sale of GE Lighting's overseas operations, which involves A total of more than 4,000 employees could be completed by the end of June. In the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 11.66 to the South African rand, at 9.36 Botswana Pula, and at 9.74 Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 71 pence to the British pound and at 80 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,358 and platinum at $1,004 an ounce, Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $64.60 a barrel. And I'll be back with more in the next hour. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
And our sports update, we begin with the cricket news. Proteas batsman Hashim Amla believes the one-day international, the ODI series loss to India, has exposed key learnings for the squad going forward. The Proteas face India in the 6th ODI at Super Sports Park in Centurion, Pretoria today. And although it is a dead rubber, the squad remains motivated to finish the series on a high. This is the Proteas' last ODI of the summer. The next series is against Sri Lanka in July and will be the last opportunity for fringe players to make a claim for sports going forward. And in rugby news, South African rugby side Stormers coach Robbie Fleck confirmed that Springbok locks Peter Steph Dutoy failed a late fitness test which resulted in him not being included in the team to play against the Jaguarish of Argentina at Newlands on Saturday. Fleck is hopeful that Dutoy will be declared fit enough to travel with the team on their tour of New Zealand and Australia on Sunday. Didn't pass his fitness test. Um, you know, he's been struggling with his back for some time now, so he went for a second block on uh, on the facet joint. Um, but uh, hopefully, you know, the second one will work now. Um, he injured it again on Thursday last week uh, session, so uh, he hasn't trained this week at all. So, but uh, hopefully, um, he'll be good to go to go on tour on Sunday. With Dudoy and even Elizabeth both out injured, Fleck believes he has enough and competent cover with J.D. Schickling and Chris Van Sale, who both played well in the Curry Cup and in parts of Super Rugby last year. Absolutely. Um, these are the starting Curry Cup blocks. J.D. Schickling was outstanding last year and Chris Van Sale led the side to a Curry Cup victory. So I have no doubt in terms of what they can do. They played plenty of Super Rugby last year for us as well. So obviously, Evan and Peter Steph are big losses for the team, but we certainly do back uh, whoever comes in in those guys' positions and um, and they've done performed pretty well for the Curry Cup team last year. Axel Lundesvindal threw his battered body down the Yongxian slope in thrilling style to keep a brilliant career with Norway's first Olympic downhill gold medal, becoming the oldest alpine skiing champion in the history of the Games. Axel Lundsvindal. The pressure you put on yourself as well, you know, how bad you want it and... I think that's something you think about after, but right now it's just the emotions when you cross the finish line and you see that you're ahead, and that's just, yeah, that's bigger than any record books. And age is just a number. Age is just a number. And finally with uh, tennis news. Roger Federer is one win from becoming the oldest world number one in ATP tour history after beating Philip Kohlschreiber 7-6 and 7-5 in the last 16 of the Rotterdam Open last night. A 36-year-old needs to reach the semi-finals to overtake Rafael Nadal at the top of the rankings and reclaim the world number one ranking for the first time since November 2012. Yeah, it's extremely complicated uh, tonight. Uh, couldn't really find my range and my rhythm. Uh, I think Philip, uh, you know, uh, did that to me. Uh, I just struggled, you know. Maybe it's still very early in the tournament and uh, yesterday was a bit too simple. All of a sudden today when the score was... Uh, was close. I just wasn't able to release my shots, but uh, it was a battle. Had to get, had to get maybe a, a tiny bit lucky in the beginning of that uh, first set when he had a couple of set points. So that was a uh, good serving there as well and aggressive tennis, the way I would have liked to play the whole match. But um, you know, it was a fight today, and um, those are the good matches to win. And uh, at the end, I was uh, quite relieved to come through. The 34-year-old Kohl Schreiber had not beaten Federer in 12 attempts, but on his own service game proved a tough opponent for the Swiss, pushing him all the way to a first-set tie-break. 
That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. South Africa's new president to deliver his first State of the Nation address, Nelson Chamisa appointed to lead Zimbabwe's MDC, and more UN peacekeepers face sexual abuse allegations in the Democratic Republic of Congo. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzora Magadza and Selina Dobong, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1 or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Major Laser with the song title Particular. Told me everybody's 15 minutes in a different time zone And since I have it at the moment, you the one I wanna shine my light on Get your life, get your life, little mama, won't you get your life on Ain't nothing cooler than the wrong rules When you do them to the right song, the right song Let's shoot this movie and put the shit on repeat I, I hope this memories are making me fall asleep Before we hit the road, put our phones on silent Nobody's trying to bring shame to the beach What would it take to change the plans for the weekend? Cause I, I am trying to kick it like eating The whole thing, the pre-party, the pre-sex Then we hit the major league with a cheese hey, I like you, girl, in particular You in particular so I like your waist in particular Screening you like when I'm a leaping like Baby, baby, let's do it up yeah.